and welcome to the Bikers Church Midrand Podcast. It's great to have you join us for this week's episode. We hope that you find this valuable for your daily life. How many of you, how many of you have ever woke up in the morning and um, by the time you hit breakfast, your life feels like a country song? You know what I'm talking about? Like your dog died, your car won't start, so you were late for work and as a result you missed a meeting and then you got fired and now your spouse won't speak to you. Like proper country song. You know what I'm talking about? When, when, when in truth, you really are trying to live a good life. You're trying to live right. You're doing everything that you feel you could possibly do in your power to live right. But there just seem to be these, these critical obstacles at like critical times that just tend to get in your way. And, and if you're honest, it actually feels like all hell is breaking loose and you're starting to wonder if hell doesn't have a little bit to do with it. Well, Paul writes to us. In fact, he didn't specifically write to us. He wrote to a church, but kind of wrote to us by writing to this church in Ephesus. And uh, this account is in, in, in the, the entire book of Ephesians. But he really just takes the book of Ephesians. He, he takes this letter that he writes to the church in Ephesus, and he, he, he speaks to them about living right. Kind of this thing that we'd be trying to do in the moment when, when all this other stuff is just happening in our lives. And he speaks to them about living right. He, he speaks to them about uh, how to live a life that, that, that creates a, a loving and, and caring home. How to, how to live a life that, that contributes to society. By the way, t- tests have shown us, studies have shown us that loving and caring homes are the backbones of good society. If you want to, if you want to see where community and society is thriving, if you study that space, you'll see that, that it's not single parent homes, but, but, but there's, there's two parents in the home. There's, there's, there's a loving and, and caring family unit. And from that, we get great society. That's for free. That wasn't even in my notes. Sorry. But essentially, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and he, he really just starts to show them, Hey, how do we do this thing called life? How do we, how do we live lives? That, that are filled with love? How do I, f- I live a life that is, that is in unity with the people around me? How do we live lives that are filled with meaning and with purpose? And at this point of the letter, we're all like, hey, sign me up. That's the sort of life I want to live. I want to live a life that contributes to society. I want to live a life where, where people look into my home and go, man, that's a loving and caring home. I want to live a life that, that speaks of meaning, that speaks of purpose. We, we spoke about that a couple of weeks ago. And we say, man, if, if this is what the book of Ephesians is about, then yes, I'm in. But then Paul does something strange. He ends the book off in chapter 6. Like, he takes a left turn. And he goes from speaking about how to live this life and he starts to speak about the fact that we need to guard ourselves. And here's what he says. Chapter 6 and verse 10, he says, A final word, 
So this is after he said all this other stuff. He says, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So first off, he says, be strong in the Lord. And as I, as I read that, what, what kind of grabs my attention is, is, it's like he's saying to us, do everything you can in your power. Do everything in your power. Do everything in your power to live this life. Do everything in your power. But not everything is in your power. Why do we say that? Because he says, in the Lord and in his mighty power. So come on. Do everything you can in your power, but not everything is in your power. What he's really talking about here is something that's unseen. Isn't that the truth? Because it says, in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now, you may be sitting here today and you, you may be thinking to yourself, I'm still not 100% sold on this whole God thing. You know, I... I don't know, man. Science has made some, some pretty crazy discoveries over the last while. And, 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 and. So, so you may not be sold on the whole God thing, but I think we can all agree that when he says in the Lord and in his mighty power, we're talking about stuff that's unseen. Isn't that true? So, so maybe for you, the unseen is, is the fact that the universe is trying to communicate something to you. Or maybe it's that natural selection has naturally selected this situation for you. Or maybe right now every Tony Robbins quote or, or Gary V quote is going through your mind right now because the truth is you are the master of your own destiny. You are the, the sailor of your own ship. <laughs> but if you're honest, right now it feels like, like the masks have been ripped off, the rudder's broken, and you just kind of along for the ride because something unseen has taken control. But no matter what our belief system is as we sit here this morning, we can recognize that something is completely out of control in these moments. So Paul says, hey, do everything in your power, but understand that not everything is in your power. Then he carries on you in verse 11 and he says, put on all of God's armor. Put on all of God's armor. Let's hit pause there for a moment. What is he talking about? Like what is he, when he says put on God's armor, what is he talking about? Is he talking about a physical touch and feel armor? Is that what he's talking about? Because if he's talking about a physical armor that, that he says put on all of God's armor, like what if it's laundry day? And I don't know about laundry day in your house, but laundry day in our house, wherever I put my laundry, when I wake up, it's not there anymore. Like I put my clothes somewhere, I wake up, gone. So if this was a physical armor and it's laundry day in my house, I'd be in trouble. Because maybe it developed a bit of a stank and it needed to go get washed and now I don't have this armor. So I know it sounds silly, but I think that so often we think into this and we develop this picture of every morning. I mean, I don't even know if there's a God yet, but I'm like, you need to put on the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth. And like we go through this whole motion, but how many of us can relate that that's not relatable? Like maybe this is not a physical armor that he's talking about. 
And for once, we're not going to refer to the Greek or the Hebrew. We're going to refer to the English because it actually helps us out here. There's the, the, when it comes to armor, we have armor as a noun and armor as a verb. Okay, for those of you who weren't great in school like myself, like a noun is a naming word and a, a verb is a doing word. Okay, just for folks like me. Okay, all you smart people, thanks for putting up with us. But when it comes to the armor of God as a noun, what it's really talking about is a metal covering to protect the body in battle. That's what, that's what, what armor is as a, as a noun, a touch and feel armor. But there's a different type of armor. There's the verb of armor, which is to provide someone with defense, emotional defense, social defense, psychological defense, spiritual defense. I think we can all agree that when Paul was talking here about put on the full armor of God, that that's what he was talking about. So what Paul's really saying is, equip yourselves with these God-given defenses. He carries on. He says, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. First off, he says they stand firm. Um, <clears throat> I find it amazing. There's, there's only two times in Scripture where Paul says it's okay to run. And it's when it comes to sexual immorality and, and the love of money. Those are the two times. Um, someone once said that when it comes to monies and honeys, you can run. You know? uh, but every other time, he says to us, hey, stand firm. Stand firm. Don't run. And here he says, stand firm. But then at the end of this, he says, um, against all strategies of the devil. Again, we come back to this question of, maybe I can buy the whole God thing, but the devil, that's, you know, isn't that just stuff we tell kids so that they'll behave? I'm not, I'm not so sure about this whole devil thing. You know, I, I'm not sure he's real. I've, you know, I know I've not seen God, but I've definitely not seen the devil. I, I love what's, what C.S. Lewis said when it comes to this. He says this, he says, when it comes to the demonic, people usually fall into one of two errors. Either they take time, uh, sorry, either they take him altogether too seriously, or they do not take him seriously enough. Now, whenever churches, including us, get onto these topics, like I believe that what C.S. Lewis says here is true. You get folks who in this moment is like the perfect opportunity and they just become like super weird. Super weird. We're not that church. Okay, if you're sitting here and you're already stressing because you're thinking, oh man, how weird is this going to get? When are people going to fall over? When are they going to bring the snakes out? When's this going to just get completely off the... We're not going there today. We're going to keep it exceptionally real here today. Is that good? All right. Or we can fall in the other side of the spectrum where we walk past it, brush it off, and we don't pay any attention to it at all as if it doesn't exist. But here's what I want to say. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. One of the best explanations of this is um, there's this, there's, there was this physician in 1918, sorry, 1864. 
And his name was Ignaz Simmelweis. Apparently he was German. Apparently. But what Simmelweis stumbled across was what we today call germ theory. Right? That germs exist. In 1864, they didn't know that germs existed. So what happened? Physicians in the hospital would go around without washing their hands. So mortality rates would go through the roof. I mean, they would work on a corpse for a while, on a dead person, and from there they would go and deliver a baby. And for some reason, and they couldn't figure out why, people kept dying. And Simmelweis caught on to this. He, he started thinking, man, there's got to be a correlation. There's got to be, people just believe that the disease developed in the body, like you had too much blood was one of the common beliefs. You got too much blood and for that reason you get sick. Or you got too hot and now you have disease in your body. But Simmelweis started looking at patterns within the hospital and started thinking to himself, I think we carry these things from people to people. So he got all his interns and he, he just got them to wash their hands with chlorine water. Every time that they, that they were about to work on a patient, wash your hands with chlorine water. Each time they finished working on a patient, wash your hands with chlorine water. And all of a sudden, the mortality rate just dropped in the hospital. So at a famous conference, Simmelweis gets up and he speaks about germs. He speaks about this germ theory and that ultimately it's these germs that are killing people and we're carrying them from people to people. And, and in his speech right at the end, he said, for God's sake, gentlemen, please wash your hands. Now back then, gentlemen didn't wash their hands because gentlemen's hands were clean. You get the whole vibe. But he says, just wash your hands. This will save people's lives. Well, not even Simmelweis's wife believed him. At the end of his life, he died in an asylum because they thought he was mad. Because surely these little green men that are killing people that only you can see cannot be real. Because we cannot see it. But just because we cannot see something does not mean that it's not real. Paul said this in, 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 in verse 12. He said, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So, so here Paul is talking about an unseen world and he's, he's talking about this unseen war. And at times, folks, at times we are, we are equally as naive as what these doctors were to what they couldn't see. So often we are equally as naive to what's happening in our lives. Because we just struggle to believe in these things that we cannot see. But if we look around us, I believe that we can see, as Paul said it, the, the strategies of the devil in our lives quite often. Uh, I love what Andy Stanley said. Andy Stanley said this, and I think I've run way ahead of my notes, but uh, who cares? Uh, Andy Stanley said this. He said that, that if you want to see evidence for the demonic, 
You won't find it by looking through a microscope, but by looking in the rear view mirror. Now, he wasn't talking about your kids sitting on the back seat. Okay. He was talking about the rear view mirror of our lives, wasn't he? Just stop and think for a moment. How often don't you look in the rear view mirror of your life? You look in the past and, 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 and you can see so clearly how these, 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 there's certain things that are just, man, they're just too perfectly orchestrated. They're just too neatly put together. Like this temptation came at just too a perfect of time for there to not have been some form of a plan. You see, folks, the truth be told, Satan couldn't care less whether you believe in him or not. Because he's not looking for your recognition. He's looking for your distraction that leads to your destruction. That's what he's looking for. Paul goes on in verse 13 and he says, Therefore put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. What's Paul saying here? He's saying, put on the full godly defense. Put on the full godly defense. When you put on the full godly defense, you will not get distracted, which will lead to your destruction. And I believe it's for this reason why Paul started all of this off right in verse 10 by saying, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So do everything in your power, but hey, not everything is in your power. Why? Because it's not about your power. In fact, This has got absolutely nothing to do with your power. This has nothing to do with my power. In life, our strengths are more often our liabilities. Why? Because it takes away our need for God. It takes away our dependence of God. Isn't that true? Come on, folks. Let's be honest for a moment. So often in life, when we feel like we've got an area of our lives waxed, We don't depend on God the way that we do when all hell is breaking loose. Just me. Honestly. It's often said that as followers of Christ, weakness is an advantage because dependence is the objective. Folks, if dependence is the objective then weakness is an advantage because weaknesses are places that we most naturally depend on God. You see, whenever we talk about about these things like spiritual warfare and demonic strategy and blah, 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 so often we feel like we need to go and fight off the devil when the truth is we don't need to fight off the devil. We need to surrender to Jesus. And then he comes and fights on our behalf. And the good news is, he's already won. So, what is our first line of defense? Well, Paul comes and gives it to us here in in chapter 6 and verse 14. He says, stand your ground. Put on 
the belt of truth. Put on the belt of truth. Now, I find it amazing that the very first line of defense that he, he comes and gives us is truth. And it's, it's demonstrated in the form of a belt. Now, if you understand armor back in the day of Paul, um, the belt was crucial to the entire defense system. Because all your weapons were attached to your belt, but at the same time, the rest of your armor was held together by the belt. I want to say this, truth works that exact same way in our lives, doesn't it? Because if we aren't functioning in truth, everything else falls apart. When we're not willing to, to, to surrender ourselves to, to the truth of God and who God is, everything else in our lives seems to just fall apart. Now, as far as metaphors go, this is a really good one, because if we're honest, who wants to go into battle with their pants down? No one. Ladies, gentlemen, I want to say this. When you're functioning in truth, you won't get caught with your pants down. I wasn't going to say this, but now I'm going to say this. Now everyone's worried. I find it amazing that when it was just Adam and Eve on the face of this planet, there wasn't a need for a belt. But the moment that anyone else came into the picture, there was a need for the belt of truth. So husbands, wives, if you have that belt of truth on, you won't ever get caught with your pants down with anyone else in the room. Amen. There we go. Again, that was for free. You guys get a lot for free. Okay, so your belt goes around your core. All right, so what does Paul mean by this belt of truth? Two things, I believe. First off, so often when we think of the belt of truth, whenever we think of truth, we think of a, of a, of a how. Isn't that the truth? A, a what, sorry, we think of a what. The truth is this what. But the truth be told, when Scripture talks about truth, it first ref- speaks about truth as a who. In the New Testament, we, we see the first time that truth is really spoken of, it's referred to as a who. See, Jesus said to us in, in John 14 verse 6, he says, I'm the way, I'm the truth. Jesus comes in and, and shows us himself as the truth. So before truth is ever a what in our lives, truth should first be a who. And that we should first catch on to the who of the truth before we ever start trying to figure out the what. Because if our foundation is faulty, then it doesn't matter what we find. It's founded in the wrong place. So Paul's saying, put on the belt of truth. And what Paul's saying when he's saying put on the belt of truth, what's he really saying? He's saying, put on Jesus. Come and put on Jesus. Make Christ the center of your life. And when Christ is the center of our lives, then Christ becomes our identity. Remember earlier on we spoke about the strategies of the devil. Well, this is one of, one of the devil's most famous strategies. Is this, this whole issue of coming and attacking us in our identity, isn't it? If you're a follower of Jesus, you'll, you, you'll know this. 
How often haven't you heard that little voice that says, man, if you really are son or daughter of, the God, of, of, of God, then you shouldn't be struggling with these things. Like then these things shouldn't, shouldn't be an issue in your life. If, if, you, if you really are a son or daughter of God, then life shouldn't be so hard. If, you, if God really exists, then these things shouldn't happen in life. Hey, how often don't we, don't we have these thoughts and, and, and conversations that, that run through our minds? But what the devil comes and does in our minds is no different to, to the very first time that he approaches Jesus in this, in this way. Isn't that true? What did he, in the temptation of Jesus, what did he do with Jesus? He came and he attacked his identity. He said, he said if you really are the son of God, then do X, Y, and Z. But you see, when Jesus was confronted with these things, how did he respond? He just said, it is written. He came right back to the truth of God. And not just that, it was after that that he said, hey, I am the truth. So folks, when our identity is firmly established in Christ, when my identity is no longer found in the way that I ride a motorcycle or no, no longer found in my bank balance or no longer found in who I hang out with. But when my identity is firmly founded in the Savior of my life, then when that attack comes and, you know, if you were, then come on, let's be honest, this stuff wouldn't be an issue for you. Then I know, hey man, you may be saying this, but you know what? Greater is he who's in me than you who's trying to mess me up in the New Ramon translation. The second thing that the belt of truth implies is this, is, is that, that we have grounded our perspectives on everything that we would face in life in what Jesus said about them. That we have grounded our perspective of things in what Jesus says. And things like marriage, my, 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 the truth for my life, it doesn't become relative. Like it's your truth, it's my truth, and everyone gets a truth, and it's not the Oprah Winfrey show. But the truth be told that when, when, when we have taken on Christ as our truth, when, 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 when Jesus becomes this belt of truth, then our perspective on these things are, are rooted and grounded in him and his perspective on life. So all of a sudden, when, when, when we need to make decisions on or, 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 or think about, hey, what does marriage look like? What does sexuality look like? What does business ethics look like? What, is, what does generosity look like? What does love look like? What does forgiveness look like? What does repentance look like? Then all of these things, we can come right back to this truth of Jesus and go, what do you have to say about this? What is your perspective on this? Okay, this is the heart of God in this moment. This is my perspective. The heart of God will become our perspective in those moments. I wonder... How do you determine what's right in your life? As you're sitting here today, how do you determine what's right in your life? You see, some people, they, they, they kind of rely on this internal compass. You know, does it feel good? 
doesn't feel good. I, I, there's a situation I'm in, and right now I just I believe that I should do what feels good. You know, hey, I'll consult with God and I'll consult with with folks around me. But at the end of the day, I'm just going to do what feels good. Like that's my truth. Other folks would would follow popular opinion and whatever their 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 lecturer may have said in university, or or whatever the, their family opinion may be, or uh, whatever their friends say, or you know whatever their favorite celebrity says. Um, you know, does is our thinking keeping up with Jesus, or is our thinking keeping up with the Kardashians? Uh, I guess it's kind of where we draw that to. But you see, folks, the only way to escape the deception that distracts is to let the Word of God shape our thinking. And whenever we are not covered by the truth of God, we are left vulnerable for attack. And I find it amazing that even if I look in my own life, I never find that, that, that the devil comes with, with like outright lies. Like as, as I hear it, I'm like, well, you know, that's just like believing in the cookie monster, you know? That's ridiculous. No, he always comes with half truths. He comes with enough that sounds real and right, and then it's tainted with, with, with stuff that goes completely contrary to the heart of God. Think about right in the, gar- in the beginning in the garden where, where he approached Eve and, and he's like, man, did he really say? Like this is what he said. And, and we see how he twists the words of God in that moment. And folks, his strategy hasn't changed because his strategy doesn't need to change. It's been effective for thousands of years. So, Ultimately, his attack is to get you to do one of two things when it comes to the truth of God in your life. Number one is to doubt it. And number two is to neglect it. And both are equally as effective. I wonder, what do you believe about the truth of God in your life? And does how you treat it line up with this belief? There's a, there's a, at the moment, there's a New Testament um, um, professor in a university in the States, um, a New Testament professor, I need to repeat that part, who they reckon that by the time he has reached the end of his first semester, he has converted his entire class to either be agnostic or atheist. On purpose. He gets up, his very first lecture, he gets up in class and he holds up his Bible and he goes, Who of you believe that this is the infallible word of God? It's a New Testament class, so pretty much the entire class puts up their hands. And he says, Fantastic. Um, you can put your hands down. Now, how many of you have read this book from cover to cover? And out of the entire class, generally, like two folks may put up their hands. And he goes, really? You believe this is God-inspired and God-written 
But none of you except these two folks have read it from cover to cover. If it were as important as the fact that God had written this thing, wouldn't you have read it? And the reason why you haven't read it is because if you're honest, you actually have doubt in your own heart as to whether this thing is true or not. And like I say, from there he pretty much sets out the entire semester to just prove scripture wrong. I wonder if we had to do the same thing here this morning and just go, hey man, how many of us have read the word of God from cover to cover? And I'm not going to ask anyone to raise their hands right now. But if we did, I'd probably change the question a little bit. I'd probably change it to how many of us spend every day in his word? How many of us recognize that, that, that his, the truth of God's word is life-saving and life-changing for us day in and day out? How many of us believe that, that this truth doesn't just save me and, and, and change me, but it also directs me in my daily life? That this belt of truth isn't just some little metaphor, but that it is the reality of God's heart for your life and for my life, day in and day out. You see, folks, the Word of God, when, when, when we talk about the truth of who God is, and, and as we read it and find it in Scripture, these are not just Sunday school stories. It is a compass to set our focus by, to cut out the distractions that lead us to destruction. These are words to shape our lives by, to lead and love our families by, to do the unexpected, to love the uninvited, to be salt, to be light, to let Christ be Christ in us and through us, to infuse and influence this world with His life changing hope is this the reality of the word of god in our lives folks where we at worship team's welcome to come back she's excited i'm excited because here's Here's what I believe. I believe that for, for quite a few of us, we may be here today and, and we may be feeling like, man, I almost feel like I've been put on a guilt trip. Well, folks, we didn't sell that ticket today. Here's what I want to say to you. Today, I believe that as a body, as a church, as, and when we say church, I mean a gathering of people. That as a people today, we can start taking steps in our lives to not get caught with our pants down in moments of trouble. That we can ensure that that belt of truth is so firmly set in our lives. How are we going to do that? Well, I have, I've got a bit of a new challenge for us. And the new challenge is this. I can't memorize a scripture a day. I don't know about you. Um, I bought a memory, mega memory course, but I forgot where I put it, so it hasn't worked. So I can't. I can't memorize a scripture a day. However, 
I believe that I can memorize the scripture a week. And I believe that if I work really hard on my son at three years old this week, happy birthday, Zion, um, that he might even be able to memorize a scripture a week, especially if it's short. But here's what I'm trying to say. I believe that we can take a first step in this and start to memorize a scripture a week so that when we do get faced with 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 these uh, these very well orchestrated moments of attack <laughs> that in that moment we can have the right defense in place where where Satan wants to come and, and fill our hearts with fear as we've spoken about the last couple of weeks in, in church just you know regarding stuff that we see around us and in those moments we can be equipped and say to him you know what Satan here's the truth man God has not given me a spirit of fear but he's given me a spirit of love and of power and of a sound mind. You may be trying to get under my skin right now, but but the truth be told, I'm not going to focus on you. I'm going to focus on the way. I'm going to focus on the truth and I'm going to focus on the life. And that in these moments we can be equipped that our defenses are up and that we can recognize, I don't, want, I don't have to go and fight hard now. Heck no. Why? Because I've surrendered this life to Christ. And as a surrendered life to Christ, He fights on my behalf. All I have to do is be equipped with the defenses needed for those moments. So, the scripture a week. I want to do two things with this. We want to have a bit of fun with it over the next couple of weeks. So we're going to get the scripture to you. We're going to put it, pop it onto social media, uh, on, on our Facebook page, on our Instagram, and through our WhatsApp broadcast. So if you aren't signed up to our WhatsApp broadcast and you want to receive it every week, please go sign up with a, with an info desk. They'll, they'll hook you up. But if you remember your scripture, if you, if you come next Sunday having memorized the scripture, we got some fun in store. And I'm going to leave it there. But here's what I want to say. We're going to do that for the first couple of weeks. But, but ultimately, here's what I want to say. Imagine we did this for a year. As a church, as a group of believers. Imagine we did this for 12 months. More importantly, imagine we did this for 52 weeks that means that by next year this time we have accumulated 52 pieces of defense in 12 months time I don't know about you but I'm excited to see what's going to happen in your lives I'm excited to see what's going to happen in my life if we get serious about this Father God, I thank you for this morning, Lord. I thank you for for just us being able to come and just engage with your heart for our lives, Lord. Lord, I thank you that that even though the, the we are in this unseen war, Lord, I thank you that your word says that our that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not man-made, Lord, but that they are mighty in you, Lord, because ultimately you come and you fight on our behalf. So, Lord, we 
really just want to come and submit these lives to you, Lord. Lord, we want to come and submit areas of our thinking, Lord, that that may still not line up with you, Lord. But Father God, today, I I really just want to pray over your people, Lord. I pray that that the reality of the truth of who you are will become a reality in us daily, Lord. Lord, that you will stir up a hunger in us as your people for your word, Lord, for your truth to be alive and well in our lives, Lord. Lord, and for those folks who are, who are going to be taking this challenge up for the next 52 weeks, Lord. Lord, I thank you that we can stand firm in you, Lord. That we can stand firm in you, knowing that in our weakness you are made strong, Lord. Lord, that your strength is revealed through our weakness, that we don't have to try and run off and be some superhero, Lord, but that all we have to be is submitted as your children to you, Lord. So, Father God, I thank you that you come and and, and really just stir up this hunger, stir up an excitement, Lord. Lord, then I want to pray for those folks who aren't excited and, 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 and who are actually quite skeptical of this. Lord, and here's my prayer. I pray that you'll prompt them to just go, hey, just give it a go. Just give it a go. Lord, and that as they engage, Lord, that you start to to bring legitimate change in their lives, Lord. Lord, that, that Jesus will move from a theory to a reality. Lord, that Jesus may even move from a myth to a reality in their lives, Lord. Father God, we love you, Lord. And we thank you that we can know that you love us and that you loved us so much that you didn't give us your pocket change, but that you came and you gave us your best. And we thank you for that. Lord, I thank you that as we head out of these doors, Lord, that we can go out there, Lord, and that the reality and the truth of who you are can be displayed through our lives that we can be an accurate representation of your son, Jesus. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. We trust that you found this message valuable. For more information on who we are or how you can get involved, please check out our website at bikerschurchmidran.co.za or connect with us through social media on Facebook or Instagram. Beyond that, have a great day.